Are you ready to take your financial advisory firm to the next level? Get a realistic approach to making your business successful, innovative, and client-centered with insights from a creative marketer and results-oriented business consultant. Welcome to the Insights for Financial Advisors podcast with your host, Crystal Lee Butler. Welcome to Insights for Financial Advisors. I'm your host, Crystal Lee Butler, owner of Crystal Marketing Solutions. And with me is this season's co-host, Dr. Jack Singer professional psychologist, speaker, and the author of The Financial Advisor's Ultimate Stress Mastery Guide. Welcome again, Jack, to this episode of Insights on How to Become Stress Resilient. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure, Crystal, to be with you and your audience and to provide the information that I know they can really find useful in their careers and actually in their lives. Yes, yes, definitely. And I've um, really enjoyed our last four podcasts, and I'm really excited about this one. I've been actually trying, as one of my 2018 goals, just trying to really um, become less focused on stress. And well, nobody wants to be focused on stress, I guess, but um, trying to handle it better. It's a busy time of year for me right now, and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. I'm looking forward to it. Well, you know, when we talk about resilience, Crystal, um, we're really talking about how do people bounce back from stressful situations. Uh, Some people bounce back quickly. Other people get sort of overwhelmed by it, and they are less resilient. So the key is learning, you know, how to bounce back. And, And in terms of learning how to bounce back, you really need to understand the conversations you have with yourself, Um, talking to yourself um, when things happen determines exactly how you're going to bounce back. So that's, that's what's very important is that people really need to understand uh, the conversations they have inside their head. And we've talked about this in some of the earlier, you know, episodes that um, you need to take charge of that conversation. If you don't take charge of the conversation, it takes charge of you And these are frequently based on habits that we've developed over the years. And until we recognize the habits, uh, they're difficult to change. So in terms of becoming resilient, there are a lot of things that I want to talk about today. One is, you know, optimistic expectations as opposed to pessimistic ones. We can talk about goal setting in terms of the kinds of goal setting things that I like to talk about, uh, which may be a little different than most people are thinking about. And then other behavioral prescriptions to build resilience and bring joy and happiness. So, you know, the whole focus of all of my work when I work with advisors is to really help them to bring joy and happiness into their lives because they're so overwhelmed frequently by the demands of the job that it's difficult to find joy and happiness sometimes, you know? Yes, yes, and especially so in that's, tumultuous That's mode. really what we, what we want to do and let them know that indeed it is possible. And by the way, before I forget, we because I may not, I don't remember if I mentioned this in other um, episodes, I don't expect people to memorize everything from listening to these podcasts. There is an entire course with six modules that I have online, mm-hmm. and they can really change their lives dramatically. And not only that, the course will provide them with a voucher for 12 hours of continuing education credit. So if I can, can I just give the website where they can go and get more information on that? Yes, please. And we'll also have that listed on the show notes on the website as well. But go ahead. Okay. So if they go to www.developthemindsetofachampion.com, they will find all the information there. And what I will do if they happen to be one of your listeners and they let me know, and I'll give you a way they can let me know, I will give them a $200 discount just because they're your listeners. That's awesome. So I'll give them a code. 
a code to get a $200 discount. So all they have to do is either email me or call me and let me know that they're signing up for the course and I will tell them how to get that code. They can email me at drjack at advisingtheadvisors.com or they can um, call me at 949-481-5660 and just identify themselves, tell me they're planning on taking the course and I will get back with them if I'm not there explain exactly how they can um, they can get the code for the major discount. Great. Thank you so much. I'm sure they'll um, our listeners will be very excited about that. Okay. So let me let me delve into it. Do do you have any initial questions or you want me to just delve right into it? I think just going back right into it, I think it's funny how you um ironic funny how you talked about the conversations in your head. I feel like I constantly have conversations in my head. And sometimes I get more pessimistic. So while I try when I'm actually vocalizing stuff to be optimistic with other people. So I need more optimistic conversations in my head to help okay. reduce my stress as well. Well, this is going to help you as well as your listeners. Then exactly. Because, um, when we talk about optimism and pessimism, it's not the traditional um, definitions like the glass is half empty or the glass is half full. There's some research, Crystal, that was done um, 40 years ago in the insurance industry, and the research has been replicated in hundreds of different kinds of companies ever since, and the results are always the same. This is very powerful research on the way we expect things to happen in our lives after bad things happen. So if an advisor has a bad event, an unfortunate event, like a client says, I'm firing you and I'm going to find another advisor, how do you respond to that? Is it with an optimistic expectation or a pessimistic expectation? And let me, if I may, just give sort of the definitions of optimistic and pessimistic. There are really three criteria. Um, where, what do you see as the cause of the problem was the first criterion. Um, how permanent is it or temporary? And is this a pervasive issue? So let's take the example I just gave of um, a financial advisor gets a call from an angry client who said, I don't like what's been going on and I've decided to move my, my uh, assets to someone else. Okay, that's a neutral event. Events don't cause emotions, but our reaction to the event causes the emotions. So essentially, we're looking at um, what kind of cause was there that the person interprets in their mind of the difficult situation? How permanent is it likely to be? And how does it represent their life in general? So let's go back to this example. Uh, a, an advisor finds out that a client is disappointed in their portfo portfolio and the performance, and they decide that they're going to um, take their money and go somewhere else. Now, that's a neutral event because events that take place in our lives don't cause emotions. The thing that causes emotions is what you say to yourself about the event. So... If the, if the advisor has a pessimistic expectation of outcomes, then the advisor is likely to blame him or herself for this problem. It was my fault. I screwed up. I should have done this. I shouldn't have uh, recommended this, this uh, equity. Um, it's all my fault. So that's the first sign of a pessimistic expectation. Secondly, this is probably going to continue to happen because I don't know how to stop it. It's happened my whole life. So now the person looks at it as a permanent problem and feels helpless. That's pessimistic. And finally, this is just one example of how I've made mistakes in my career and I'll probably continue to do it. So now the advisor looks at this as pervasive and really feels helpless. 
that is a pessimistic expectation or explanation of bad events. And unless the advisor understands how to stop that, um, that will continue to happen and will lead that advisor to constantly being under stress and not performing his or her best. They'll always be under the gun expecting the worst. Let's talk about how someone with an optimistic explanatory style would deal with that. That person would look and say, you know, this was a fluke. This is a client who is very difficult to deal with. I don't think anybody could have pleased this client. And maybe, in fact, I'll be relieved when I don't hear from this client anymore. Maybe now the stress is off of me and I can use that relaxation to build new clients. So they look at this as an external cause. Nobody could solve this problem. And I, it wasn't really my fault. This is a temporary situation. I'll bend, bounce back from this. I know how to prospect for new clients. So they look at this as temporary instead of permanent. And finally, in terms of the pervasiveness, it's exclusive. I had difficulty with this client, but I don't have difficulty with 99% of my clients, so I'm not worried about this. So you see the difference in the way someone with a pessimistic explanatory style looks at the same event than an optimistic one. Do you have any questions about that? No, and I think um, I think that's a great explanation. And then also kind of um, another optimistic perspective would be going back to one of our other episodes about this person probably isn't their ideal client. And so it, it's all meant to be in that sense that they can now focus on finding more of their ideal clients versus um, that's exactly whatever correct. happened in this situation. So it all kind of ties in together. That's a really good point, Crystal. So now let's look at how... Um, a pessimistic explainer looks at good things that happen. Let's say the, um, the, uh, the advisor lands a new client that has um, a lot of assets under management for him, and it's really a good day. The pessimistic explainer, okay, which you've got to think about carefully now because you said you have some of these issues, okay. The pessimistic explainer, uh, says this is an external thing. It, I was lucky. It was a fluke. I was in the right place at the right time. It had nothing to do with my skill set. Okay. Um, they look at this as temporary. Um, this is not going to keep happening. Um, you know, I've had so many failures. I'm probably going to continue to have failures when I'm failures when I'm prospecting, and it's exclusive. This is this this is nice, but you know, the rest of my life really isn't very good. And, and this is not going to impact the rest of my life. So this is a short term, nice thing that happened, but I'm not counting on it to continue to happen in the future. That's how pessimistic explainers talk to themselves when good things happen. What does the optimistic explainer say? Wow, this is great thing happened to me because of my skills, my work ethic, I really did my homework. I went after the client because I can really solve his or her financial issues. Uh, I can plan for their family and for the legacy uh, that's going to be beyond their family. And that's why they signed with me. This was strictly because of what I did. And good things are going to continue to happen to me. This is a permanent thing because of my work ethic and the way I go about doing my business. And finally, this is just one example of the many areas of my life where I have skills and I'm so happy that I've developed this wonderful way of uh, researching and doing my work ethic and communicating with prospective clients. I know that my practice will continue to build and build. So you see, completely different interpretation. The pessimistic person looks at the 
good outcome as uh, a fluke. The optimistic one says it's because of what I'm doing, and I, I'm going to continue to do that. Do you have any questions or comments about that? Um, no, I, I think that um, my self-talk is a lot of the negative, but as as I talk to other people, sometimes it dawns on me that um, like I try to be encouraging to them and be on the optimistic side, and I need to be more of that with myself. And I'm sure a lot of advisors are the same way. Well, the, my clients sometimes are very similar in some aspects, too. So um, it's all about trying to think of the right word, but being more positive with yourself. And I, I just, I, I love this coaching that you're doing on this. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, you know, a lot of people can see it in other people and then they have to realize that they're doing it themselves. So right. it's really important to recognize it. So, you know, one of the outcomes of the research that was done is that a very large percentage of people are because of, the way they were raised, they have pessimistic interpretations of events. Um, but the good news is, and there are tests, by the way, that I've done in, in, in firms to determine who has the optimistic explanatory style and who has the pessimistic explanatory style. We can do a test in 20 minutes and learn where you come from. Um, the, the great thing about that is, A, uh, firms can use that in selecting advisors. They may not want to select advisors who come out, you know, more on the pessimistic mm -hmm. side. But B, if they already have advisors that are like that, then I can come in and do the kind of training to, to reverse that. Mm -hmm. And that kind of training, again, is in my course, which is much longer than the time we have here. But it really all takes place in understanding something we talked about before, which was the kind of the toxic language that people use with themselves uh, that produces pessimistic outcomes. You know, if you're beating yourself up with, you know, I could have done this better or I'm not as good as I thought I was or, you know, a lot of people have more faith in me than I have in myself. If you beat yourself up that way, then you will continue to have pessimistic explanations for things that happen to you rather than optimistic explanations. Okay. So it's really important for people to to begin to recognize the toxic self-talk, even if it means writing it down. So let me just give a quick example of that, which may have been something I've talked about before. I don't recall, uh, but I want to make sure that they have this down. When a person is feeling any kind of negative emotion, Crystal, the first thing they need to do is write down what they were thinking about right before they experienced that emotion. So negative emotions are things like unhappiness, sadness, anger, frustration, anxiety. The first thing to do if you're feeling an emotion like that is to write down what you recall you were thinking about right before you felt that emotion. And the reason for that is that the thoughts are what led to it. So let's say, um, let's say that I had to make this, uh, this time commitment with you today and I had some other things on my plate and I start feeling anxious. If I was going to write this down, I would write down, well, what, what are you thinking about, Jack? Oh, I'm thinking that Crystal has everything set up to do this nice recording for her audience. And I am pressured because um, I don't know if I can be on time. So that then once I recognize what's causing my anxiety, I can then rationally think about it. So I could say something to myself like, well, first of all, if I'm not on time, I'm not going to be that late. Secondly, um, 
we have plenty of time to do this, so I don't think it's going to hurt Crystal too much if I'm five or ten minutes late. Third, um, the quality of the information I have is a lot more important than whether I was exactly on time to start the broadcast. So there are ways to think rationally about this, as opposed to the anxiety-filled person who says, oh my goodness, she's going to be disappointed in me. Um, you're supposed to be a professional, Jack. How could you disappoint someone like that? Um, my goodness, uh, you know, she made these plans with you a long time ago. Why didn't you plan better? Okay, that's what, that's what someone does when they're toxic in terms of their internal thinking. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think um, we can, as humans, tend to be our own more self-critic. Critic, but at the same time, we are all humans and we forget that who we're feeling anxious about or situations that they probably they would be more understanding than what we really think in our head. Um, so, right. like in that example, that would have been I'm flexible, I'm human, I know stuff happens, I'm a mom with a toddler, I know that stuff happens, especially in those instances. So, um, right, right, we've got to remind that, right? To so, yeah. So a great example that just happened was a little while ago, your doorbell rang and your dog barked, which it's supposed <laughs> to do when the doorbell rings. Now, you might have felt anxious because it interrupted our thing. But the, the best way to think is, okay, that happens and the dog is doing what it's supposed to do. I'm glad I, I have a dog that's a watchdog. And uh, so there's no problem here. We'll just edit that out. As opposed to the person, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I didn't lock the dog outside. I should have done this. I should have done that. That's what the pessimistic, negative, toxic kind of thoughts are. Uh, what you should have done and you didn't do it and you beat yourself up and there's something wrong with you. So I'm giving you permission. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Okay. All right. So that, in essence, is what we look at when we talk about expectations or explanations of events that take place in our lives, whether they're good or bad. We want to always have an optimistic view of that. Another example would be if someone calls me up and books me for a speaking engagement, I say to myself, this is just the beginning because whatever I said or did or showed this person to make them want to bring me across country to speak to their audience, I can do in a hundred places because it's the same thing. As opposed to a pessimistic explanatory person might say, well, that was a fluke. I don't even know how they found me. Probably no one's going to find me again because I'm not really successful at this. So I don't count that as anything special. It had nothing to do with me. They must have heard about me from someone else or they made a mistake and found me by accident, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's, that pretty much takes care of the optimistic versus pessimistic issue. Yeah. What I really want to get into while we have time for your listeners is the power of goal setting and how this can really affect your stress in a very positive way by cutting down, down on your stress. You know, we know from research that um, people are 11 times more likely to do something, to follow a goal if they write it down. Uh, and that's important to understand because most people just think about the goal that they make for themselves. But if you don't write it down and have a place to look at it all the time, then you're much less likely to, uh, to deal with it. So I call, I call this the amazing power of SMART goals. And the SMART stands for something. The S is specific, and I'll explain that in a minute. The M is measurable. The A is action-oriented. The R is realistic. The T is time-based. So this is really how you want to make goals. 
You want to make sure they're very specific. Your goal statement tells you specifically what you want to achieve. You need to be clear on your desired outcome. So let's say a financial professional wants to have wants to increase their um, assets under management by um, $500,000 this year. That's specific. It needs to be measurable. The goal statement must include how you will measure your success. So the financial advisor can say, I will be um, every month keeping track of the assets under management, and I will see as this grows to eventually reach my goal of $500,000 in 12 months extra. Action orient, describe the behaviors that you will engage to achieve this goal. So the, the advisor says to himself or writes down, I will have four seminars, four client seminars in the next year. I will bring in someone to do an exciting kind of seminar for me so that my clients will want to bring in uh, guests mm -hmm. to enjoy this free seminar. And I will try to uh, convert a, at least 10% of those guests to becoming my new client. So now we have an action orientation. Realistic. Your goal needs to be realistic in the time frame you're giving yourself. So, you know, can I really bring in $500,000 in a year if I have a million dollars under uh, management now and it took me 10 years to do that? Then maybe the $500,000 is not realistic. But you need to stretch yourself, but just be within a realistic time frame. Right. And finally, time-based. Set, set your goal within the time frame uh, that you have to achieve it. So one-year anniversary, I like to tell advisors, you know, start a new goal on your birthday so that by your next birthday, you'll be happy that you achieved it. Just like I tell them to start a, to get rid of toxic clients that I did once before I told you on your birthday, it'll be the best birthday present you ever gave yourself. So you get rid of one every year. Um, and you'll find yourself replacing them. But now, here's what they need to do in terms of making sure these goals take place. The first step is to write it down. The second step is to write down, why is it important for me to achieve this specific goal? You know, why is it important? Is it an ego thing? Or is it important because I have a retirement plan, and the retirement plan means that I have to have so many assets under management by so many years, so I will be able to sell my practice or retire or whatever the case may be. Third, this is really important. Most people don't think about this, Crystal. And that is, why haven't I achieved this goal before? So now what you're really looking at is, what have I done to sabotage myself from achieving this goal before? Most people don't think about that. Mm -mm. That's a good point. Fourth, what habit? Pardon? That was a good point. Uh, I'm never, when writing oh, okay. goals, I don't even think of that, but I like adding that in. Um, yeah, that's very important. Why haven't I done this before? What has prevented me from doing it? Or how have I prevented myself from doing it? So let me give you a, a simple example. It has nothing to do with financial advisors, but a lot of people make a goal that they're going to lose a certain amount of weight, you know, like after the new year or whatever. Mm -hmm. So when they get to that question of why haven't I done this before, if they're really honest with themselves, the answer is because I eat while I'm watching TV, because I, I like to eat popcorn in the movies, because I consume too much at every meal, uh, because I, when I go shopping, I do, I do it when I'm hungry, so I buy things that shouldn't be on my shopping list. So they can go through a whole list of things that they can actually change, behaviors that they can change, if they're really honest with themselves. Now, the next question is, what fears can get in my way? 
So this is interesting. From an advisor standpoint, what is your biggest fear? The biggest fear is I'll be out of business. So the, the biggest fear is uh, that I'll discover that I can't really bring another $500,000 under management and I'll, I'll feel like a failure. Okay. So then you have to work on, you know, that's a silly fear and it's toxic and all of that stuff. But what are the fears that get in the way? Interestingly, I had cases before where financial advisors sabotaged themselves from making more money from a fear that they weren't consciously aware of. But after we talked for a while, they became aware of it. As you know, I mentor advisors. We do confidential mentoring. Mm -hmm. And as a psychologist, I can really get at, you know, these underlying fears. And in some cases, people were afraid of making more money because they had certain relatives or friends that liked to borrow money from them and it really infuriated them and they didn't know how they would say no. So if they made more money, then they would be in trouble. Can you imagine? Oh my goodness. So I had to teach these people how to be assertive with their friends and relatives mm -hmm. and just say, no, we're not, I'm not going to loan out any more money and here's the reason. Okay. So that was actually getting in the way of people trying to make more money. Now, what specifically must I do in order to accomplish this goal? You know, what do I do to accomplish this goal? Well, I have to have so many face-to-face -face meetings with prospective clients, and I have to sell myself to those clients, and I have to close a certain percentage to have that goal. So the more specific, the better. And is there anyone who can help me achieve that goal? Uh, yes, I can speak to my wife because she keeps me on track or my husband keeps me on track and will keep me on my goal or there is someone else in the office that I um, respect and he or she has more assets than I do under management maybe they can talk to me about how they've achieved it when will I ask for that help that's really important because people procrastinate doing something they're uncomfortable with so if they're uncomfortable with the goals in the first place they're not going to ask for help from someone so when will I ask for help? You actually put down a date. Tomorrow I'm going to talk to Joe Smith about how he gets his clients. And finally, what emotions will I feel once I accomplish this goal? I'll feel a sense of pride, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of accomplishment. Um, I'll have more faith in myself in the future. So in short, when people do this kind of goal setting, it reduces their stress because they actually put something on paper and they stick to it. And if they do this, most of the time they will accomplish their goals. So that is another major way that advisors can become resilient by setting realistic goals, sticking to them and watching them happen. Um, you have to make sure they write them down. Yes, yes. And um, I've been writing down my goals for several years now, but this year I actually introduced, I guess, what was kind of your last item in a way. Um, how will I feel when I accomplish that goal, which I was more so worded as a reward, which with business goals, if you achieve business goals, achieving the goal in itself, the emotions that are associated with it are really the ultimate reward. But for personal goals, it was neat. You know, I have a goal to um, have daily movement and um, I'm tracking my steps. And if I meet my step goal for that daily movement, then I'm going to treat myself to um, a stitch fix subscription service so I can get some new clothes. Um, so adding that extra layer into the where whether, whether whatever reward it would be, whether it's emotionally or you get something physical, it's really helped solidify the goals that I've set and really been more encouraging to go through that process and um, work towards those goals more so. So I love that you added that last piece in. That's really an excellent 
comment about rewarding yourself. And I have used with clients rewards that are unbelievable because it forces them to do what they don't want to do. For example, I'll say to a client, how important is it for you to brush your teeth at night before you go to bed? And they'll say, well, that's, that's a no-brainer. I have to brush my teeth and floss and all those other good things. Okay, from now on, I want you to make an agreement with yourself that you're not allowed to brush your teeth or floss before you go to bed if you haven't accomplished A and whatever A might be during the day. So that's on the person's mind the whole day. I need to get to this because I'm not going to be able to brush my teeth, you know. And so you can play little games with yourself that way as long as you stick to them. Mm -hmm. That'll make you encouraged and motivated to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, I like that idea. But um, I I still plan on, yeah, brushing my teeth. But I like that connecting it with something else to help keep you accountable. I love that concept. Right. So I can give you a quick example of that. So I have diabetes, so I I never used to check my blood, but now I do because that's the way I stay on track. So I, I, I check my blood and if I'm, if I'm tempted to eat something I shouldn't eat, I tell myself, but you're going to check your blood before you go to bed and then it'll show the truth. So then I don't eat it. So that's a trick that I play with myself. I like that. That's good. The next episode is really about recognizing, you know, where these negative thoughts come from How do you develop a mindset of a champion? What's the difference between someone who's great at what they do and someone who's really a world champion? The difference is the mindset. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to talk about that in the next segment. Okay, well, great. I'm really excited. I just kind of want to recap what we discussed. We talked about optimistic and pessimistic explanations for unfortunate events and how to differentiate between the two and why it's much more important to have optimistic explanatory or explanations and how you can develop it. And then we talked, um, the other comment we talked about here was uh, all about toxic thinking, which we're going to get into a little more in the next episode and how toxic, negative, unfortunate thinking really causes our emotions, not the events that take place. So events are neutral, but how you have a conversation with yourself about that event determines the emotion that you're going to have. And finally, we talked about the amazing power of SMART goal setting with the SMART standing for the various uh, parts of the goal setting. And one of the things, by the way, that I didn't mention is you can a person can close their eyes and actually visualize themselves accomplishing the goal and how they'll feel. That's a nice way to, a nice thing to do at night while they're falling asleep is visualize yourself accomplishing this goal and how great you'll feel. So all of that is a nice way to wrap up that segment. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to our next episode. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. You're welcome, Kristen. Thanks for listening to the Insights for Financial Advisors podcast. If you liked this episode, please rate the podcast on your favorite podcast app. For more insights, tips, and resources, visit insightsforfinancialadvisors.com today.